The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 will jump in um, in our Believe series. A few years ago, I say many years ago maybe, I don't know, in my lifetime, the most quoted verse among people was John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now in this post-Christian world that we live in, the most quoted verse is Matthew 7.1. Judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> and so everybody likes to say that. Man, that's like a very tolerant society. Um, and so we... We think about that, and it's really impacted the way that we have functioned um, within the kingdom. What's interesting is that Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The sermon starts about chapter 5, and chapter 7 is getting toward the end of it. And right after he teaches that about judgment, he talks about wide is the gate, um, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow the gate, um, that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Then he goes into true and false prophets. He says, you know people that are false teachers and, and that are true teachers. Then he goes into true and false disciples, um, people that are acting like they know the Lord, but in the end he says, depart from me, you, you never knew me. And then he ends with um, a story about a builder. Um, he says, the wise and foolish builder, the wise builder built on the rock, and the foolish builder built on the sand, and when everything came against it, the, it, didn't, it didn't withstand the storms that fell apart because it was built on shaky ground, which are all interesting judgment statements, right? And so Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, and then he tells us to make all these, statements, these um, judgments about whether or not we're listening to a true or false teacher, and whether or not a person is a true or false disciple, um, and then how we can build lives uh, basically by using wise principles and making judgments about what is right and what we should be walking in obedience. And so... We look at that and we go, well, how are we supposed to know? How am I supposed to know when I'm making a judgment or not? How am I supposed to know when I'm judging something about um, another individual? Well, there are some things that are wrong simply because the Bible condemns them. And so we know, like, the Bible, like there's, no, there's no question. This is wrong. It's, it's wrong to do this. It's wrong to murder someone. It's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to lust after a, a woman. We, we know that, Okay. And then we know that there are some things that the Bible teaches that are clearly right because the Bible commands us to do them. We're to love each other. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to, um, you know, be faithful um, to assemble ourselves with other believers. These things, they're, they're just commanded to do, okay? What about convictions? <laughs> so one guy feels a conviction. It says in the book of John um, Jesus, we were talking about in our discipleship group this week, we were looking at, at some of these passages about Jesus right before he was crucified. He taught that the Holy Spirit would come. And one of the things the Holy Spirit would do is he would convict the world um, regarding sin. Uh, and, and so uh, as he does that, we learn that there's some things... I may feel convicted about, 
because the Spirit of God is convicting me, and you may not feel convicted about it. Now, when it comes to Jesus, and we go, well, I may say, like, well, we, one guy may say, well, Jesus is the Son of God, He, which when we boil it right down, what we're saying is that Jesus was God in the flesh. And this guy might say, well, no, Jesus was like a spiritual brother to Satan. I'm going to judge that statement, right? That is an essential thing that this guy is making. And I'm going to say, no, this person is wrong. They are in error. And that is wrong to believe believe that. I'm going to call that out. I'm going to say it's rebellion, it's heresy, and to avoid it. And I'm going to make that judgment statement based upon the what the Word of God teaches me. So I'm making a judgment in that moment. But you may feel convicted by the Holy Spirit as you're reading the Word, and it says, love thy neighbor as thyself, and man, the Holy Spirit just hits you right between the eyes. You need to make peanut butter sandwiches and take them downtown and give them to the homeless. And you come to me and you say, man, I, I feel convicted that, that I should do this. And you go, you want to go with me? And I'm like, no, I don't really want to. And if the Lord doesn't convict me of that, then I'm okay in not going. But you are not okay in not going. Because the Lord convicted you to do something, and for him to know to do good and doeth it not, James says it is sin. And so there are sometimes things that we should do that are, are, are good and beneficial for people in the world, and, and it comes like from the Lord, like he, he commands us specifically um, through the power of reading the word and talking to him, and, and he just impresses on our heart, man, he gives us a conviction in our, our conscience through the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's working, and we, we should go do that, and then there are other things that, that maybe I look at, and you're doing, and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that, but you feel okay doing them. And the word doesn't specifically address whether a person should do that or should not do that. Well, the answer is, I should not do that because there's something inside of me that is making me feel like it's convicting my conscience and telling me I should not do it. But that doesn't mean that you were wrong for doing it because the word has not specifically addressed it. They say, well, what would these be? Well, they could be all kinds of things. I mean, it just depends on what is happening in the midst of your life as you're walking out your obedience to Christ. And so St. Augustine said, in essentials, we have unity, okay? That's like what we believe. What do we believe when a person dies? How do we believe a person gets right with Christ? They must confess their sins, believe in Christ, and call upon him to save them. And they are... Uh, they are a new creation. They are reformed in Christ. That's what we believe. That We believe that every man is a sinner, not some men are, are better than other men. No, everybody's a sinner. That's an essential belief that we have. Okay, and so we have unity um, in that. In non-essentials, we have liberty um, on things that, that whether or not they're permissible for us to do that the Bible doesn't specifically address. But in all things, he says, we have love. Okay, so in chapter 14, 
um, of Romans, which we've been diving into this book for quite some time, and it's about believing. It's helping us believe the right things. It's about strong and weak faith. And so Paul is saying, man, there are some people that are in the kingdom of Christ that have stronger faith, and there are some people in the kingdom of Christ that have weaker faith. And he shows us, he teaches us through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit how to navigate in those situations. Now, the church in Rome, as it came out of the ground, man, it just, there's no church, there's no apostle. Historically, we don't, we don't think there was an apostle that started this church. It was just a move as, as Jews were leaving Jerusalem and Gentiles were hearing the word. These people got together. And man, this incredible church comes out of the ground in Rome. And Paul is wanting to go visit it. And he writes this letter um, to them um, that we call the Epistle to the Romans. And, and it has been preserved over time and, and recognizes, man, this is the authoritative word of God. And it tells us how we should live. And, and these people that he's writing to, there are two different people people groups. And so one of the people groups are, are Jewish. They've grown up Jewish all their lives. They've been taught all of the things of the Old um, Testament law. They've been taught about the sacrificial system. They've grown up going to festivals, observing Passover, observing uh, Purim and all these other festivals, men that Jewish people um, attend and go to and doing all these things and observing these laws. And, and the religious leaders taught them and had it down to a science even on, on working on the Sabbath, they knew you can only take this many steps, but if you take this many steps, then you've broken the law. I mean, they were just so in tune with that, trying to live that thing out. They, they had kind of missed what it was um, trying to accomplish, but they were growing up with this, like all their lives from the time they were little bitty boys. I mean, the, the Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy chapter six, it, it tells them, well, as Moses tells the children of Israel as they're becoming a nation and he's repeating the law. He's like, when you walk along the road, when, when you're sitting down, when you're eating, talk about these things. Um, talk about about the Lord, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And so they just, this is the, it was an oral society. They told the stories, they talked about it, and, and they would go to the temple and they would make these sacrifices. And sometimes they would sacrifice a lamb, sometimes they would sacrifice birds, and sometimes they would sacrifice grain, and there were drink offerings, and, and all of this stuff was a part of what they did. And they believed in the same God that we believe in, they just don't believe that Jesus was him. Okay, now some of them did. And the ones that did, they became part of the church. And that, that's, that's who Paul is here. He is part of the church. He is a Jewish believer that became a Christian. Well, they also believed that anybody who wasn't Jewish was unclean. So if you weren't born a Jew, you were unclean. And if I had any kind of interaction with you on a certain day, I had to go through all these rites of purification before I could go worship the Lord and, and be in these different places within the temple. But the gospel hits the Gentiles. And Peter has a vision that Christ gives him in the book of Acts. And, and he says, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And then this guy Cornelius that is a Gentile sends for Peter to come to him because an angel had come and said something to this, this Gentile person and said, send for Peter there. He's staying at this particular place and he'll come and explain all this to you. And so Peter goes and this guy's a Gentile and Peter knocks on the door as a Jewish Christian and uh, the dude opens the door, man, and there are all these Gentiles in there. And he's like, am I going to go in there? And he's like, 
remember Jesus gave me this vision last night um, and said that don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And so Peter goes in there and he's like, tell me why you sent for me. And the bro says, hey, man, like I had a vision and the vision told me to send for you because I was trying to just worship and seek God. And he said that if you, you would come to me and explain this to me. And so Peter starts explaining the gospel to him and explaining who Jesus was and, and what Jesus did and all the incredible things he did and how he died on the cross of Calvary and that all those who had called upon him, they were saved. And man, that right there in that moment, Cornelius and all the people in the house, they gave their lives to Christ. And they started showing evidence that they had the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Peter's like, oh my goodness. We got Jews and Gentiles now that God is living in. What are we going to do? And this was the problem they were having is these people. So the Gentiles, they had these weird laws. They worshiped all kinds of gods. They didn't just worship one god. They had multiple gods, and they would burn sacrifices to them. Just like the Jews would offer sacrifices, they would offer sacrifices to other kinds of gods. But in their system, they might not use all of the animal, and they might like just sacrifice the head, and the rest of the animal was skinned, and it was taken to the market, and people would buy it at the market, and they would eat it, right? And so as... These Gentile believers were coming into the kingdom and they were meeting Christ and they were leaving all that paganism. And they would see something that was sold in the market and they would know it had been sacrificed to an, a, a, a pagan God. And they were like, I can't eat that. I used to be involved in that. And that I know that's offensive to God and I don't want to eat that food. And then the Gentiles are coming out. Some of them are coming out of this, this, this ritualistic, um, law-driven old covenant that Christ has fulfilled, and some of them recognize that they're free. They don't have to observe that law anymore. They don't have to do the sacrifices. They don't have to celebrate the festivals. But some of them, man, they just felt like, I, I really like that, and I enjoyed that, and it makes me feel closer to God, and I want to do it. And so some of them wanted to do it, and some of them didn't want to do it. And they're all coming into the church. And then some of them are looking at each other and say, you don't have to observe that stuff anymore. You don't have to go to that festival. We are free in Christ. And another brother would come in and he would be like, you shouldn't be eating that meat. I know that meat was sold and it was uh, sacrificed to the such and such God. We should not be eating that. And this guy would say, what are you talking about, man? Jesus said all things are clean. We can eat anything we want. And he said, no, we can't. And boy, they were just bam, 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 bam. And so you know, this sounds amazing. It's still happening in the church today. It's just not about eating animals that were sacrificed. It's about all kinds of other stuff. And that's what Paul is addressing. He's, he says to us in verse 1, and we're just going to work through this chapter, okay? He says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Here's the first takeaway. The master's servants accept each other. Okay? 
Both sides. He's saying, you Jews need to accept the Gentiles, and you Gentiles need to accept the Jews, and you Jews that want to go to these festivals need to accept the Jews that don't want to go to the festivals, and you Gentiles that don't eat the meat need to accept the Gentiles that do eat the meat. Why? He says, the strong needs to accept the weak, and the weak needs to accept the strong because Jesus has accepted them both. He's the master. And so the word accept is the Greek word proslambano, and it means um, to receive. And, and it has the idea, it's, it's, it's the same word that you would receive, you would take by the hand, you would gently take someone by the hand as a companion. You receive them. And so the Lord received us that way. He looks at us as the weaker brother. We are caught up in our sins and trespasses for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, proslambano, he shall take them by the hand and receive them. And he tells us that since we have been received by him that way, we should receive each other that way. Those who have weak faith that don't allow them to do some of the things um, in their conscience sake, should not condemn the strong and call them unspiritual. And those who are strong in their faith not, must not despise those who are weak in their faith that doesn't allow them to do something and call them immature. We are to accept one another. Jesus is the master, we are the servants. And our service to Christ does not depend on one's opinions because Jesus has accepted both. So your service to the king doesn't depend upon um, the opinion of the person who's in the kingdom with you. It depends on Jesus. It depends on him leading you. It doesn't depend on what other people think about you. The master's servants accept each other, and we look at each other, and we go, well, the way he serves the Lord and the way I serve the Lord may look different, but I'm going to accept him because I know I look different to the Lord, and the Lord accepted me in all of my difference, whether it is strong right now in my faith or when I was weak and literally barely had a little bit of faith to call upon the name of the Lord that he would save me. And he goes on. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we, be, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Here's the second takeaway. The servants live and die for the Lord. All of them, the weak servants and the strong servants. Those with weak faith, those with strong faith, they're both doing the same thing. They're living and dying for the Lord. Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Often he gets described as Savior, but the New Testament is always referring to him as Lord and Savior. You don't get Jesus as Savior unless you're willing to take him as Lord because you become a servant in his kingdom. 
And so when we look at that and we, we call upon his name, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended to the Father, and he did that in order to give life. What does he share with us? He shares with us his righteousness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everything we've learned in the first 11 chapters of Romans tells us that God did everything that he possibly could do to give us something that we could not earn on our own. And so what does Jesus give us in this life? He gives us righteousness. What does one do to become righteous? How many peanut butter sandwiches do you have to take to the homeless until God says, righteous? Right there. Oh, there's another one over there. Look at the people. They mowed their neighbor's yard. Righteous. How much? You can't do anything to become righteous. The only thing you can do is pro Silimbano. So offer, reach out and take his hand. And let him grab a hold of you. And when he grabs a hold of you, then all of a sudden, he imparts his righteousness to you. He washes away your sin because he bore all the consequences on, of sin on the cross of Calvary. And because he never sinned himself and took on the consequences of sin, that sin, when you take hold of his hand and confess him as Savior and Lord, that sin is put on the cross in that moment. Your, your sins have been forgiven and because of that, your life that was being lived that was apart from Christ, you die to your old self, you're raised anew in Christ, and his righteousness is imparted to you in that moment, and you go from wicked to righteous in one prayer. Thank the Lord, man, because he calls us to be righteous, and when we call upon him, he just gives us righteousness. And then, in the midst of that, he indwells us with his Holy Spirit. As I was saying earlier, and as I was starting the, the talk, man, is that he, he the, the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us. He lives in us. And so God no longer is operating with an external law that is written on tablets of stone in the old covenant. Jesus has fulfilled all of that. He has become a propitiation for our sins. And so now our sins are put on him. And because he never did anything wrong, he's paid the penalty. He's become the perfect sacrificial lamb. And as the perfect sacrifice, sacrificial lamb. He takes away my sin and now he moves into my body because I am raised anew in Christ and the law of God is written on my heart. And now my conscience has been redeemed. I'm not just a good moral person. I have the righteousness of Christ because Christ lives in me and his law is written on me and that changes everything about me. And I walk in that belief. And as I walk in that belief, he's calling me to share his life with other people and to live for him. That's why when we get to Romans chapter 12, he says your reasonable act of worship, um, your proper act of worship is to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. We're no longer under a sacrificial system of death where animals are being given to remind us constantly that we're sinners. We're now in a place of living sacrifices where we are the living sacrifices and dying to ourselves on a daily basis that Christ might live in us and we're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit which is love and joy and peace and patience and, and, and kindness and gentleness and all of these things are coming out of me as I walk in belief of what Christ has done in me and I share that with the people around me. And as I share that, man, the, the world takes notice. And so my job is to listen to the Holy Spirit convicting me about what he does and does not want me to do. Now, there are some things 
that I don't need to try to figure out. There are some things um, that this, the Bible is specifically clear on. And this is what it means to obey the Lord. Like, like whether, and, and this is, shows you how, how messed up our culture is in this day and age of tolerance. We are intolerant of the word of God. And, and so the, on the essential things, we have redefined them. Um, we can't figure out our right hand from the left hand. We don't know how to distinguish between gender. And everybody does what is right in his own sight. Why? Because we want to remove the authority of the word of God. But when we bring the authority of the word of God in, it shows us all of the essentials for our life. And so we see these are the essentials that I believe. But it also individually works in each of our lives to convict us of what we we are supposed to be doing and what we should be avoiding in non-essential behavior. And I, I take the time to lay that out is because in non-essential things, no believer has the right to play the Holy Spirit in another believer's life. If you have freedom to do something, I don't have the right to come in and tell you, you don't have freedom to do that. And you don't have the right to come and tell me that I don't have freedom. And so we have this thing where we need to be careful about shooting. Because when you shoot on people all the time and say, you should not do this and you should not do that, you end up with a real shooty situation. <laughs> right? It's not the way to live, man is we got to understand and trust that the Lord will work out in each person what it is that he wants them to do. And we trust that the Lord will bring that person along. And it is not our responsibility in non-essential beliefs to make judgments about another person's life. Well, he goes on. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Here's the third takeaway. The servants each give their own account to the master. Every one of us, we all give our own account. And this is a, a reference to the judgment that is known as the Bema Seat of Christ. There are different judgments that are described in the Bible, and one of them that you probably, if you've been around the church much, or if you've read the book of Revelation, you know about the uh, great white throne judgment. And that is a judgment on the salvation of souls. And so that is a judgment on a, whether or not a person has met and knows Christ. But there is another judgment that is described, and here's one of the places that is described. This judgment is not about whether a person is saved or lost. We go back to the very first point, and we see in um, verse, uh, I believe it's four, is that the Lord is able to make them stand, whether they're weak or strong. He makes both stand, so both are in the kingdom. And so this judgment is about what did we, um, how did we respond to the truth that we heard? And how did we respond to what we were hearing the Spirit um, say to us through the Word, through other believers, through sermons, and through the convicting power of Him in me on my conscience? As He's leaning into me, how am I responding to the things that He's calling me to? This is why Jesus, in all of His parables, He says, He who hath, hear, he who hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. 
Not everybody has ears to hear. And he's praying for the person that will have ears to hear because that person who has the ears to hear will um, receive Christ and they will also receive guidance in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day Jesus will judge them on his Bema seat and, 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 um, and it is according to how we hear and obey. The writer of Corinthians says to us, if you want to look into this judgment of Christ, of the Christians, of the believers, again, we're not talking about belief and unbelief. These are two different judgments. We're talking about all believers. Everybody in here who is a believer will stand before Christ and face this judgment. And Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he says that, that some you know, will build with um, wood, hay, and stubble, and, and some will build with gold, silver, and precious stone, and they will all pass through the blazing eyes, the fire of Christ, and he will make a judgment, and everything that we did that was equal to wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, but all of the gold, silver, and precious stone are um, refined by the blazing fire of Christ, and they go on into eternity, and they're basically what we lay in the feet of, uh, of, of Christ at, at the Bema seat as a, as a servant to the master of a life well lived. And he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, what if all I build with is wood, hay, and stubble? Am I still okay? Do I still get in? And it says, yeah, you'll get in, but you're smoking on the way, right? Because everything in your life is burned up. I think there are so many things. When I say gold, silver, and precious stone, it's not money. It's eternal stuff. It, it could be our children and everything we've poured into another person that has developed in the kingdom and they're able to grow up in the Lord. It, it could be other believers around us. It could be financial things. It could be time. It, it's everything that we give to the Lord and we're hearing the voice of the Lord through the power of scripture, uh, reading and meditating on scripture and, and listening to the Holy Spirit and, and again, sermons and, and songs and, and poems and all kinds of things can speak to us uh, about what the Lord wants us to do to step in obedience. And they are different for all of us, but God is speaking to everyone and he wants us to obey and prepare for that. And so because that day is coming, Paul shares three therefores that come at us in, in 13, verse 13, verse 16, and verse 19. And so we'll break those down, give you the big idea, take communion and go eat. Amen. Everybody in favor of that? All right. Here's the first one. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now, one thing that's interesting about this, this particular place is that, well, you know, the old covenant law, they, they were told not to eat, um, you know, pork. Why do we eat pork now? Well, one of the reasons is that Jesus declared all foods clean. Here's another re uh, thing where Paul is proclaiming that all things are, are clean to consume, even though some people may still have some convictions by them, they have been made clean by the Lord. And so what is the takeaway from this, this portion of the letter? Be responsible with your liberty or your lack thereof, okay? Believers affect each other. Some of us with stronger faith may have liberty to do things um, that other believers don't do, have liberty to do. Some of us with weaker faith may not have that liberty, 
And so we have to be responsible whether we have the liberty or we're lacking in it. And how do we affect each other? Well, we can cause one another to stumble is what this says, is that we can do things that uh, the weaker brother it might cause him to stumble. And if I know that he's weak in his faith and I recognize that it's not a time for me to take advantage of my liberty, it's a time for me to look out for him. It also may be that if I'm a weaker brother, that I may be looking at my stronger brother and I may be inspired by him. And, and if I'm fine with the way that he's doing and it's not really affecting me, it's not causing me to stumble, I don't need to grieve him over that. And I think that generally what we see is a lot of believers in the kingdom both claiming to be strong believers and grieving one another over this. When this is about the weak brother that is stumbling, not the strong brother. You say, he says that we, we can also destroy our faith. So we can distress, we can stumble, dis distress which I think is grieve or destroy someone for whom Christ died. Does that mean we destroy their salvation and they don't know the Lord anymore? No, it means we, we destroy the life of Christ in them because we're taking advantage of our strength and our liberty or we're not um, being responsible with our lack of liberty and we can impact one another's faith, which is our faith is to live the good life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Um, and so Christ... Christ has come to give us this abundant life um, that he pours into us. And as he pours it into us, there's an opposing force a, of spiritual darkness that is coming against the kingdom of Christ. And if I'm walking in a way that is grieving my brother or causing him to stumble, I'm not hearing the Lord. I'm hearing the enemy. I'm not supposed to be destroying this person's faith. I'm supposed to be helping their faith grow, and they should be, in turn, helping my faith grow. And so Paul is speaking in the terms of this church man being made up of all of these different kinds of believers that are all at a different place in their spiritual journey, and he's telling them um, how to live and get along. It's like taking a walk, man. You take a walk, and you got a little guy, little toddler, you're walking, and the little guy keeps stumbling and falling behind. You don't turn around and say, come on, man. Pick it up. I'm trying to get down the road. No, you stop, and you pro some lumbano. You take him by the hand, and you slow down and walk at his pace so he doesn't stumble. And that's, that's the picture. It's, it's also like... Um, when a new believer comes into the kingdom and they have weaker faith than a strong believer and a strong believer may have more liberty to do some things that a weak believer maybe you know in this sense in this 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 context of this verse it's it's maybe coming out of paganism and and the worship of these pagan gods and these sacrificial meats that they were eating but you can you can make that application in so many different areas of our our, our modern day um, experience and and so as, as he's as he's coming in and he comes into the fellowship, it's like coming into a home, a new child coming into the home. Man, we raised five kids, and the oldest is in eighth grade, which we're almost through with that. When you're in eighth grade, they think you're stupid, man. They think you're just stupid as a parent. Um, anyway, it's another sermon. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to get through that. Um, and so we, 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 our, our fifth one is in eighth grade, and so when they all came in there, we had these little kids, man. Our wife was, our lives were great. We didn't even have much money, but we ate out all the time. 
Went to the movies anytime we wanted to go to the movies. Just did whatever we wanted to do. And all of a sudden, man, like when I was 31 and Abby and I, we were just doing just fine. I turned 38 and we couldn't do nothing, man. There was stuff everywhere in the house. They were getting in drawers and cabinets. And so we had to put locks on all the cabinets, right? You know that phase. You know, lock it up because they're little. They're going to, you know, they drink some Drano or something. You know, put the child locks on. So we have to deal with that. I have to slow down. Now I have to unlock a child lock and go through the house and put all these stupid things on. So I have to slow down, take them by the hand. There comes a day where you take that stuff out. And thank the Lord. I'm going to tell you another thing. There comes a day for those of you raising children. There comes a day when you don't have to use a car seat anymore. I mean, after that, that, that fifth kid, I wanted to throw that thing as far as I could. Just have a ceremony and burn it to the ground. But Like, that's what you do. Well, that's what you do in the kingdom with faith. You, even though you could do a lot of other things, you have to slow down sometimes and not take use of your liberty. You're responsible with it. But the, if you're lacking it, you also need to move forward and, and start to mature because there comes a time when you shouldn't be stumbling anymore over certain things. It's, it's one thing to look at a kid and he's stumbling. We expect that, but we look at an adult man and you're stumbling you're falling down all the time. We're starting to ask, maybe you ought to go see the doctor. Sounds like you might ought to get an MRI, man. You may have a tumor pressing on the back of your neck, messing up your balance. Something's wrong with you. You got vertigo. You're falling all the time. You translate that over in the faith. We go, what is wrong? Why are you still stumbling in the same sin? You're grieving me as a strong believer that has had to slow down and wait for you to catch up. Paul says, don't be infants anymore drinking spiritual milk. Grow up and eat the meat, man. There are other weak brothers in the world that need you to reach out and proselambano and take them by the hand and help them. And so just as the strong brother needs to slow down, the weak brother needs to get his act together and get in gear and speed up because we're all called to have faith in Christ, and we should all be looking different as each day passes. And so he moves into uh, what we focus on. He says, in the second, therefore, do not let what you, what you know is good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human Approval. The, the next takeaway is focus on the eternals, not the externals. We focus on the eternals that are happening around us. Believers have priorities and they are eternal, not external. Jesus says, it is not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. They were so caught up in all this external stuff, all this religious stuff. He says, man, it's not what's going into you that is defiling you. It's what's coming out of you. And the eternals that he calls us to focus on in this passage are the peace and the joy and the righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And so we're not looking at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and going, well, I don't have the freedom to do what he does. He should not be doing that. We're looking and going, look, that brother, he's weak, but he's got peace. He's got joy. He's got righteousness. And I can celebrate that. And the weak brother is looking over at the strong brother. And he's going, look, I see peace. I see joy. I see righteousness. And I can celebrate that and because it is eternal. It is the gold, silver, and precious stone that passes through the fire and ends up on the other side. And we get so caught up in the wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn up. 
And then he says in the last, therefore, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And the last takeaway is build up, don't tear down. Uh, it, it's the Greek term oikodomia, and it, it means it's a construction term. You build these things up, man. You don't tear each other down. And I think what he's saying to us is that there are none so strong that they cannot be edified and built up. And there are none so weak that they cannot edify and build someone up. Everybody, everybody, whether you just became a follower of Jesus a, a, a week ago or you've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years, man, and you know the word and you've been in the word, you've been applying the word, then, then you should have a greater level of freedom and faith than the person that is just starting. But the person that is just starting ought to be able to just as you are able to build them up. Because that's the way the economy of the kingdom works. When we're walking by faith and focusing on the eternals and not the externals, we start to build each other up. Edify, help, don't hurt. And so what do the strong need to do? The strong need to grow in love and slow down and take people by the hand. And the weak need to grow in knowledge. Start learning from the strong and walking the road of discipleship and understanding more of the word so they can share more of the word and more of the rejoicing and more of the peace of the Holy Spirit and more of the righteousness. They understand the righteousness of Christ that has covered them and, and begin to walk in that word and that truth and they're able to recognize non-essentials from essentials and make judgments only on that which is necessary to protect the health of the flock and not get hung up on the wood, hay, and stubble that just causes disunity because Jesus said in that high priestly prayer, it is by your unity that the world will know that you belong to me. And so as we land, he says to us as believers, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. The big idea, non-essential beliefs are between you and Jesus, not you and your brothers and sisters. They're between you and Jesus. And when they become about your brothers and sisters, it should be because you're looking out for them. In essentials, we judge. In non-essentials, we love and we unify. He's saying, don't use the power of judgment to judge people Use your judgment to recognize when to help them. And so he's saying to us, don't compromise your conscience to conform to another believer's conscience. But also don't attempt to lead another believer 
to compromise their conscience to conform to yours. Be conformed by the renewing of your, work, of, of your mind through the power of the word and recognize there are differences in the kingdom. And we're all in a different place on our journey and we need to value one another. And some people, that all their lives they've come out of a culture and an experience where they don't eat meat and you should never eat meat, they may never get the freedom to eat meat. And that's okay. And some people that didn't come out of that culture, they can eat that meat and they don't feel that way and they've been released from it or even they did come out of the culture and they just have freedom. That's okay. And so, like, what do we do, man? We, it's like walking a tightrope. And it's not a tightrope that determines our salvation, but it is a tightrope that determines our reward and the movement we can see in the kingdom in our lives. And over here, man, is my... Here's my liberty, and over here is my conviction of what I, what I shouldn't do. So some people, they go, man, I am free in Christ, and it doesn't matter what I do. Boop, you're off the rope. You're not walking by faith anymore. All you're thinking about is, how much can I get away with? And then you got the brother over here and say, man, I just, I want to love Jesus and I don't want, and then they go, they go so hard that they, they're just legalists and boop, they become self-righteous like the Pharisee. And Jesus says, man, let's be balanced in your life. Recognize that you have freedom. Sometimes you, it's not, there's nothing wrong in what you would be doing there. You wouldn't be sinning at all. But recognize your brother, and sometimes maybe it's not the time to take liberty. Maybe you need to recognize it's time to just put your liberty aside and humble yourself and come down and grab a hold of your weaker brother and say, let me hang with you a while, bro. I recognize you don't have anybody like here right now. A, a brother sits down in a moment and you're there at dinner and, and you fill in the blank of whatever you want to be. But in this context, it is the food comes out and he recognizes that that, that food that is being served was sacrificed um, to, a, to a God and it was sold in the market and it was bought in the market. And he asked the guy, where'd you get your meat? And he said, well, I bought it down there at the market. They were having a sale because everybody's worshiping that pagan sun God. And this brother's like, man, I can't eat that. Well, if, if you're the one who served it, you should immediately say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, bro. Let me get something else out. If it's an believer maybe there and, and you're there with a believer and, and you're in, in a place maybe at a, at a restaurant and he feels that way what should you do should you go oh come on man get over that you're free if the brother is convicted man you say well let's go somewhere else and eat you see even though you're free you could eat the whole meal and you're not sinning but this brother because of his conscience is and so i'm humbling myself and I'm lowering my liberty in order to help my brother. Now, who does that sound like? It sounds a lot like Jesus to me, who lowered himself and came down and took a hold of my hand. Be balanced. Be balanced with your life. Make sure if you're weak, you're trying to grow strong, and make sure if you're, you're strong, you're loving everyone around you, and you're not, you're not like looking down on people. We're all in this together and we're to help each other because Christ 
has helped us all. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in a spirit of prayer. We are going to receive communion today. It's in the seat back in front of you. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in a moment and turn the service over to Sean for the final song. You'll be self-directed in this communion. You partake of it on your own as the Lord leads. The word says not to take of it and partake of it in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It means we, we look inside and we go, I think today this sermon is a good sermon for us as believers to reflect on and go, man, where am I, where am I at in my journey with the Lord? Am I walking in faith in a balanced way? Have I got a bad attitude toward a weaker brother? Have I got a bad attitude toward a stronger brother? And maybe you just confess that to the Lord and maybe the Lord would even call you to confess that to them and ask them to forgive you. And I would encourage you to have a personal moment with the Lord before you partake of the bread and the, and the juice and to remember this new covenant of liberty that we are walking in. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word that teaches me how to live. Teaches me how to live in a world with people who don't believe in you and people who do believe in you that I may differ with. Help me to recognize the things that are essential that I should never give an inch on. And Lord, help me to recognize what is non-essential. Then I'm turning into something it should never be. And I pray for our church that OPCC would be a place of just filled with stronger and weaker brothers helping each other out, stronger and weaker sisters coming alongside of each other, and that you're able to bring more and more people into the kingdom because the proper care is happening for each one. We love you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.